Taking good photos can be harder than it looks. You can learn on YouTube or even from some books. Thank you for tuning into Hannah and Eric Go Birding, a podcast by birders for birders. I'm Hannah and he's Eric. And we created this podcast to share adventures, sometimes misadventures, and opinions that we have on different birding topics. We are definitely not experts in anything that we discuss that might be controversial. I want you to remember it's our own opinions and they might be different from yours. So I feel like uh, not a whole lot of news lately except of course you know still in migration still in migration and things, so things are really popping yeah so a bunch of pippets were out on the beach this morning i didn't i didn't see them but it well, popped, horn it popped larks. up horn larks yeah and uh there's been a sharp-tailed sandpiper that, yeah, that was we've crazy. been like super fomoing about uh, no. it was seen for like two days like for by like 10 people each day and <sighs> then uh then the day that we had a chance to go out and see it it was not seen yeah. And we were like, well, we have other stuff we could be doing also. So, <laughs> unfortunately. So, I hope migration is being is interesting in your area. And, you know, last week, um, because of, like, all the migratory birds moving through, there were a lot of lights out around the U.S. at least. Um, so, lights out campaigns like Portland Audubon had one. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm sure, you know, Texas had some. The Texas Ornithological Society and other groups. And, like, FLAP and stuff. Like, yes. up in... Uh, Canada. Canada. And then... Um, North, like up at Chicago and stuff, that area they've got they've got lights out programs. That, yeah, and it's a that good... we're all advertising, keeping them keeping them down while the migration's in in effect. Well, and it's a good time right now too to look at the lights around your own um, house or apartment or whatever the case may be, and mm-hmm. see if those are you know good lighting sources that that do all the things that they should be doing, you know, staying down in the right color so it doesn't impact um, birds and even our own health. We did do an episode about that with Dark Skies last year. Um, So you can check that out. This is a good reminder that you should be looking at that and surveying it periodically. Yeah, so I'll I'll share a link to the um to the International Dark Skies Association, their page that has uh, the information about like, the questions about why your lights are this way and that way and stuff. So that, that way you can kind of ask those questions to yourself about what you have and how you can better help birds. Okay, so also um, the October 8th will be the next big day, global big day. Mm-hmm. And we do have a team um, that we're putting together for it. So if you check out our Facebook or even just our website, and Eric will include the link to the in the show notes to that. Yeah. Um, we're just asking you to sign up, you know, on our website so we have a good email list of everybody who will participate. We won't share your email or any, you know, anything like that. But we just want to, you know, send out periodic, just as a reminder about, hey, the Global Big Day is coming up. And uh, we'll post some, like, results afterwards about how our team did. Yeah. We're super exciting. So I'm... please join. Everybody's welcome to join. Yes. Everyone's welcome to join. So um, last uh, last little bit of news. I got an email two days ago, three days ago, something like that, that uh, Berta is now live. So for those of you that are interested in adding another app to your phone to do some more um, obsessive birding stuff, uh, Berta <laughs> is now now live in the U.S. So now you can. Uh, it's it's we we discussed it. We had we had a couple different discussions about this app. It's uh, kind of a blending of Strava and ebird together plus a little bit of uh social media mixed mm-hmm. in so it's uh tracking tracking you can track your walks you can track the birds you see on your walks um you could just post incidental lists you can and then post you can, pictures you can post pictures and you can and you can interact with uh, other people's uh, lists that they've posted so i knew when it went live because all of a sudden i got a handful of new followers <laughs> I, I, exactly yeah we we were part of the beta beta group we um um, asked to be part of the beta group and then 
as soon as it went live in the U.S., it's boom, 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 <laughs> followers that are, I assume, are U.S. followers, just all of a sudden adding on. So if, if you're interested in Berta, it is now live for the U.S. audience. And um, it's free, too. And it's free, yeah. Just yeah. just like eBird's free. Yeah. yeah. Berta's free. Yep, another way to play with your phone and bird. <laughs> <laughs> so um, we did have a couple reviews yes, uh, since did. our last episode. So um, our first one is My Favorite Birding Podcast was the title. Uh, so why are you my favorite birding podcast? I have a couple other birding podcasts I listen to that are my second favorites and quite a few that are third favorites with the rest competing for my time with all the other categories of podcasts that I subscribe to. One, I always look forward to a new podcast from you. You're never boring and I usually do learn something. Two, I like hearing about your adventures and misadventures along with a dose of what's happening in the birding world. Three, I like your relationship dynamics. You're kind to one another, and it's fun to hear the back and forth. Good. I'm glad you think we're kind. Sometimes I think I'm too mean. I'm I'm, I'm glad we're able to hide all the meanness somewhere else. <laughs> Rude. <laughs> Four, I like that you guys just go for it, whether it's sharing info on your podcast or taking action in real life. You don't wait around for someone else to do it or decide you're not expert enough. Uh, five, you guys are, are just real birders talking about all things birding. It works. Sorry to take so long to leave a review. I only listen on route to birding. Vicky. Well, thank you so much, Vicky. Um, I'm, I'm so glad to, to hear from you. You've been listening to us for a long time and interacting with us. And I really appreciate your review. Thank you so much. Yeah, it's super cool. So then we have another review um, from BirdBro98. Uh, he says, my kind of podcast. Today I finally finished listening to every episode of Hannah and Eric Go Birding. After, congratulations. Yes, congratulations. <laughs> uh, after listening to all their adventures, hearing about their travels, and even snippets of their lives, I feel like I've met two friends without ever actually meeting them. The banter they weave into their podcast is often funny and brings a bit of comedy to the birding world. To the birding world. Through many episodes, I've learned about birding, random tips and tricks, and pieces of ecology and birding biology I didn't know before. Thanks, Hannah and Eric, for sharing your adventures. Keep up the great work. Well, thank you, Birding Bro ninety eight. I really appreciate that. I, I'm I'm glad somebody thinks we're funny. It's it's <laughs> not just us. Not 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 just us laughing at ourselves. Well, thank you both for your reviews, and thank you to everyone who's reviewed us in the past. We appreciate it, and you know it keeps us going. Yeah. So you had an episode come out last week. I did, yes. And this episode I'm really excited about. It was a lot of fun. Um, of course, my podcast is called Women Birders Happy Hour. And you can check that out anywhere you listen to podcasts, including where you find this podcast right here. And for this one, I interviewed Vivian Fu, who we had met at Global uh, Bird Fair yeah. in July. Just kind of stumbled upon her at a booth. And, you know... <laughs> You, you look like you're a birder. Let's talk. <laughs> well, everybody there's a birder. Oh, no, it was an easy opener. You just walk up to somebody, you look like you're a birder, and then ice broken. You're in. You're in. There you go. Um, yeah, so I really enjoyed listening to, uh, to Vivian and all the cool things that she's done in her birding career. And you have to listen in because her spoon-billed sandpiper story, I feel like, is just absolutely amazing and just such a show of dedication of birders wanting birds to survive. So uh, listen to it anywhere you listen to podcasts and enjoy Spoonbilled Sandpiper. So um, we have some travel coming up. We are going to be doing a little bit of travel um, through the fall and into the winter. Um, we're going to Columbia in a couple of weeks. Yes, I know we've been talking about it forever, but I'm so excited. So excited. I think we booked it in like April. Yes, I think I think something <laughs> like that. We, we, we found really, really cheap flights and then uh, they've just been sitting there waiting for us to finish the plans. This and... is like the longest we've ever planned a trip. <laughs> no, I think we planned the, the cruise when we went on South... Oh, the, that's right. The cruise... The Flock to Marion. The Flock to Marion because we had to plan that one so far out. Yeah. So this is almost as far out as that. 
Um, we're also going to the Rio Grande Valley Birding Festival um, in November. I am so excited. so so excited to return. It is it is a blast every year. Um, the North Shore Birding Festival in December, first time that we've been to that. Mm-hmm. Um, Lake Apopka, Florida. It's gonna be it's gonna be awesome. We have, yes. I, I don't think we haven't done any bird festivals at all in Florida. We haven't. No, because no, Space Coast covid kind of and we never ended up getting getting a chance to get out to space coast yeah so i'm excited to go to this one and also to go to lake apopka again yeah that's lake apopka. such a fun place and it's got the the wildlife drive I, I imagine part of the festival there's going to be some wildlife drive action going on if but not we're going to do it if not we're going to go drive spend it those three hours out there doing it is it. <laughs> it is like such a long wildlife drive but like you you're going and it's not it's not boring no it's just very long you make sure you devote a lot of time if you're going to that wildlife drive yeah. but Anyways, um, we're also going to San Diego Bird Festival in February, and then Galveston Feather Fest in April. Yeah. So, a handful of festivals coming up over the next next handful of months. I I can't wait to get back out there since now now we're getting out of the summer so we can actually breathe a little bit from work. I feel like we need to stock up on stickers. We do need to stock up on stickers. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, that brings us to our September Bird Nerd giveaway. And uh, the winner of this giveaway has won a collection of lifeless notebooks, um, which if you haven't gotten the chance, please go check out lifeless notebooks. Mm-hmm. You can just Google it. Also, they have an Instagram, Facebook. We'll include it in the show notes. Yes. Um, they're just really cool notebooks, you know, that are, I, what is that, like large index card size or a little bit bigger but they fit in your pocket and you know they are just such a good resource to keep a field journal Mm -hmm. um and you know they have different styles of them as well and so some some that have grids some that have line the ruled paper some that are just completely blank pages like lots lots of different options and you can you can order which particular one you want. If you only want ruled ones, you just order ones that are ruled or, or vice versa. And so we asked you all to send us a, a tip that you have for field journaling. Mm-hmm. Um, we kind of had a convoluted, confusing question. Oh, man, it was... I, I We probably should have stopped and re-recorded it instead of just posting it like that. <laughs> but it was very, very convoluted, but basically a tip for field journaling. Yeah. Field journaling. And I... I offered a second entry to it if you shared with us a photo of what your field journal looks like. Yeah, so we received a bunch of photos. We and, did, yeah, some really a, cool A bunch ones. of entries, a bunch of photos, so a bunch of people got their double points for entry. <laughs> and um, our randomly selected winner was Susan from Florida, who suggested that you use colored pencils and sketch the birds. It can be more helpful to recall than just simply writing field marks. So thank you so much, Susan, yeah. and everyone who entered the Bird Nerd giveaway. Um, Susan, we will send you those lifeless notebooks. And thank you all again. And there'll be another contest in October. So check us out for that. And thank you so much, Lifeless Notebooks, for partnering with us on that. Um, we really appreciate it. I Like I said, I've been following you for a long time yeah. on Instagram. And I just love the journal so much. They're just so beautiful. And I wish I could draw like that. <laughs> I'm not even going to try. No. So, um, for this episode, our main story, we are going to be attempting to delve into Photography 101. So we contacted Christina from KS Nature Photography. She is KS Nature Photography. <laughs> um, we, we contacted her. We, we, we've met her before. She's, uh, she's a guide at the San Diego Bird Festival. She's a photographer from down in the San Diego area that but runs she travels lots of stuff. all over the place. Yeah, she tra- travels all over the place. We've been following her on Facebook for a while, kind of jealous of st- pictures she posts, different places that she's been. And uh, we, we decided this would be a perfect person to 
kind of help us try to bridge that uh, knowledge gap that some of us uh, novice and intermediate photographers may have of an expert photographer of a, mm-hmm. about what what you need to know about your camera and how how to take your take your photography just up to that next level either from never touched a camera to now you're touching a camera or from <laughs> I, I know which end to point at things but I don't know how to make it look better yeah sort of thing so that's that's kind of what we're hoping to do here and I hope I hope this whole conversation with Christina kind of clears up some of the muddiness that uh, photography can can bring about yeah, and we did ask uh, for questions from you all, and mm-hmm. so we yeah. so we condensed some of those questions um, because a lot of them had similar themes to yeah. them. So uh, you know, Christina kind of covered some of them on her own, and some of them we asked. So um, please join us for a conversation with Christina about photography. Okay, so we're so happy to have Chaos Nature Photography, Christina, on with us to talk about birding and photography. So please, would you tell everyone about yourself? Oh, hi, guys. Well, thank you for having me. This is super exciting. I always love talking birds and cameras and all the combination of all that. Um, I am Christina Chef at KS Nature Photography. That's my first initial last name. If you saw my uh, name spelled out, it's pretty complicated. So (laughs) (laughs) you can find all kinds of info on ksnaturephotography.com. I started photography, gosh, long, long time ago when we used film. If those of you guys remember those days when you develop film and all that. And then... um, I did something different, a little bit of software engineering. And about six years ago, I got back into doing nature wildlife and nature photography full time. And um, I'm based in San Diego in beautiful Southern California. And uh, I do travel the world a lot. I do lead a lot of tours uh, everywhere. Gosh, uh, literally everywhere. I just came back from Costa Rica where I spent the month there. But I also go to Galapagos and Ecuador and uh, Hungary and Scotland and Ireland, all that is on the website. But uh, I do enjoy and I do a lot of teaching uh, different classes in San Diego. And then most people, you're probably going to talk about this, but most people know me as the Grebe Lady. There is these very cool birds in San Diego that like to walk on water to impress each other during courting. And uh, I specialize in that. So that season, that's what I do for the um, San Diego Bird Festival, a lot of the workshops. Yeah, I've been very jealous watching your Facebook scene that you were in the Galapagos and then you were in Scotland. And <laughs> like, man, I need to change jobs. <laughs> so how did you get into birds? I well, I, I think, well, there's a lot of them, right? So it makes it easy. But I, I, I just love birds and I love being in nature. I also, when it comes to photography, I really enjoy photographing birds in flight, which is probably one of the most challenging uh, things to do when you're just looking to photograph birds, because it's pretty easy to just photograph a, a perched up bird or, or, you know, to find them. But birds in flight. So to me, it's a challenge. It's it's neat. It's cool. I love the behaviors. I, uh, I study like the grebes. They got me really into uh, that part of the, the behavior uh, photography when you photograph different behaviors. So uh, they're fascinating. I mean, obviously, I love photographing everything else, bears and iguanas and any other animals, deer and whatnot. So and even landscapes. So yeah. Okay, so so you've, uh, you've, you've been doing photography for a long time. Are you were you kind of not happy about the transition to digital or have you just, are you in love with that without being able to take oh. a million photos? 
I'm totally in love. Are you okay, kidding? Good. Okay, good. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I'm just saying, when I say I used to, I did film, that means mm -hmm. that, uh, yeah, I've been around for a while. <laughs> I've done, I've done photography back then, which was, which was probably a good thing. If you think about a lot of people have no idea what a film camera looks like mm -hmm. and how hard it was back then to photograph a bird in flight. You know, you have to crank the film over and then click where in these days you click 20, 25, 30 frames in a second. I mean, digital photography made it a lot easier in terms of capturing that very, very special moment mm -hmm. uh, on uh, on film or on, on, on the digital card. Of course, it also created a lot of, uh, you have to buy a lot of hard drives where I store my images <laughs> because... Oh boy. And the cameras are, are fascinating. I mean, I finally switched to mirrorless about a year ago. I'm sure we'll talk about that too. And uh, it's, it's brilliant. It's, it's technology is moving on. It's great to be a part of it. Yeah. So I think maybe uh, jumping into the basics of different kinds of cameras, as you mentioned, mirrorless, um, I don't really know a whole lot about that, but you know, we, we hear there's like several basic kinds, right? Like point and shoot, bridge and then DSLR. Do you have um, a recommendation for folks as to which one they should buy or, or, or use? can you explain kind of the differences when well, when, you, when you would want one versus the other yeah. or price point right. sort of thing? Some about those three things. Yeah. Oh no, I can we can talk about for the next few days, but let's keep it right <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. for 40 minutes. So what we're <laughs> um, first of all, there's a couple things before you want to get into photography. And I tell my clients this too when they join my classes that when the first thing, a couple things you need to figure out when you want to get a camera or want to get into photography. Number one thing is going to be your budget. So you really need to think about how much money you want to spend and move on from there. And I'll, I'll circle back to that in just a second. The other things you want to figure out what kind of photography you want to do. Would you like to do wildlife photography like I do, birds in flight or, you know, bears in the bushes or out there in nature? Maybe you want to do stars, a nighttime photography. Maybe you want to do macro photography. Maybe you want to do flowers. Maybe you're in love with the landscapes, you know, the sunsets and sunrises. So the reason I'm telling you to figure this out first, because a lot of my clients come to me and say, hey, I want to do wildlife photography, Christina. So I'm going to buy one of those big lenses, like 100 to 500 telephoto. I'm going to spend all this money. And the first thing I always ask them, I'm like, before you spend money or before we even talk camera, you're going to need one thing. And it has nothing to do with money or camera. One thing to do wildlife photography. And they're like, what? And I'm like, do you have patience? And they say, oh, no, I can barely sit two minutes on the, in the chair. I'm like, then don't. Don't bother getting into wildlife photography. because So you need to look at yourself and say, are you a patient person? Can you sit there like, you know, birding, even birding or something, wait for that little bird to show up? Photography takes it to extreme. We're going to wait extra long to make sure that that bird perched in the perfect little branch, right? Or it flew off. So I tell my clients, if you're not patient, don't bother wildlife. Go to landscape, maybe macro. So once you figure out what kind of field, you know, what, what, what do you want to do, then we can talk cameras. And before, before even buying a camera, what a lot of times I also, another suggestion I give to my clients, go down to your local camera shop, right? And rent a camera for the weekend. Rent a nice big telephoto, 
any camera and say, oh, this weekend I'm going to go hit the woods and find little birds and all kinds of wildlife. And then you go home and you say, no, I do not like the woods. I don't want to do this. <laughs> right. <laughs> or you say, oh, I love it. I'm ready for more. So then you say, OK, let's talk cameras. And you're going to look then you're going to look at your budget. And one of the uh, beautiful things, if you're a beginner, Another suggestion for you, instead of going out and spending a lot of money on like a mirrorless setup, which is the new thing, they're fast, they have eye tracking, they're really good, they helps you basically. These are tools that help you. You still have to be a good photographer and learn. But before you spend a lot of money, you might want to look at used, used cameras or maybe like Canon and Nikon. Uh, these are like the big cameras and I'm sure other brands like Olympus, um, they have refurbished cameras. That way, because a lot of us like myself who moved to the next generation, like the mirrorless, we sold our very good used gear. And mm -hmm. I, you can go down to your local camera shop and pick up some really good camera cameras for uh, not much money. So single, let's go so back to um, single, like a point and shoot or maybe uh, or a big telephoto. One of the things with the big telephotos, they will be even the mirrorless. They'll be a little bit, I'm not saying heavy, but they add a little bit of weight to your arms. I, uh, I see my chiropractor. Uh, I just came from there this morning. And in a good way, I'm saying that because I work in the field a lot. So once in a while, you know, I need to get uh, straightened out <laughs> because it's a lot of pounds you're holding, right? If it's a big mm -hmm. telephoto. So a lot of people choose to do the point and shoot, easy to pack, uh, travel with it easily. They do good photos. What do you want to do with your photos? Do you want to have a print shop, like, you know, print them and in big and then uh, sell them? Then you're going to have to get a good camera because, you know, something with good quality, right? So now mm -hmm. we're talking a little bit of money. Do you just want to do it for fun? Um, maybe you're a birder and you just want to record the birds you saw for your own reference. Point and shoots are great, right? So then you go to the next level of, of oh, well, maybe I want to get, I know I want to get a good camera, Christina, tell me which one and which brand do I get? And I'm going to say the best camera is the one is in your hand. So is it a Nikon? Is it a Canon? Is it Olympus? Is it Sony? If you haven't had a camera yet, oh, they're all, they have all great options back to what's your budget so mm -hmm. it's it's there's different levels of cameras you can get so i hope this answers some of the questions for yeah. you yeah and, and i think i think the point you made pretty much almost mirrors our optics 101 is the most important piece of gear that you have for birding either optics or your camera or binoculars whatever it is is what you're actually going to bring with you and like, yeah. like, like you said, like if, if the camera in your hand is more important than the camera that's sitting in a box right. because it's too heavy right. to carry or because it's not, it's not going to fill the need that you have for what you're doing. Exactly. And that's why a lot of my clients do this, beginner clients, especially they go and rent. They say, oh, I want that uh, 200 to 600 really good lens, really good camera. I got the money, you know, I'm going to buy them. Like, well, go rent it. And then they come back and it's, they're like, especially if it's the older, like they're a little bit older, maybe they're like, you know, that's, that's a lot of heavy equipment to mm -hmm. haul around because you remember 
the one I have, I'll tell you, I have the Canon R5 now, which is a mirrorless. It's a lot lighter than the one I had before, a couple pounds lighter than the, my 1DX that I had, which is a, a good old DSLR, uh, just regular the, the generation before the mirrorless camera. And I have a 100 to 500 lens. It's still about six pounds total, maybe, which is not bad if you just hold it. But remember, what if you walk a lot? Maybe you're going to take it for a four, six, seven mile little bird walk or something. And now you're thinking, hmm, that's some uh, some weight to carry around. So maybe I will go with the point and point and shoot little, you know, the zoom lenses, they just kind of tuck back in and pull out. And some of them are, are really good. They, they, all the camera makers, they make some really, really good stuff. So that might be your thing. Yeah. Yeah. So, so speaking of like carrying a, like a heavy, um, he heavy, heavier, quote unquote, heavier lens. Like I, mm -hmm. I carry the, um, the, the, the 200 to 500 millimeter lens. It's, it's, it's pretty heavy. It's, it's a DSLR. So it's got we quite a bit of weight. We call it as bazooka. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's got a bunch of weight to it. And I, I use yeah. a shoulder strap that I just carry yes. cross body for me. Is there, is there anything, if somebody uh... th that can kind of mitigate like that weight that you're carrying, make it a little bit easier for somebody to transition to carrying something heavier. Yes. Oh, there is. Oh my goodness. There is a, there is a whole arsenal of things. There are like uh, vests, like the, um, you know how your binoculars sit on these straps that mm -hmm. come around from the back. You, they, you can get something like that. So you almost carry the camera in the front. I almost called it like a little child, baby carrier type oh, of thing yeah. cameras hanging uh you know which is it, it's really helpful on your back the problem with like that one for me i tried it out i forgot the brand i'm i'm so sorry but the if you just go on amazon i'm sure you can find uh there's different uh, companies different brands of shoulder straps they do or the, the one that uh it's kind of like almost like a little in turned around backpack and you clip in your camera in the front the problem with those sometimes it's easy to carry but for quick action, it's hard to get it out yeah. than the one that you're just hand carrying or, or has a, a different shoulder strap that uh, you clip it in on the end and you can pull it up and down. Uh, there's so many different ones out there, thin versions, bigger. They're all whatever I think it fits you. Mm -hmm. If you have wider shoulders, it might fit some of the shoulder straps better that go across. Um what are the other things I uh, wanted to do? A lot of people do use like mono, if it's camera heavy, they use monopods, which is kind of imagine the stick that you put the camera on the end of it and secure it. That way, uh, when you're ready to carry it kind of over your shoulder, you know, like a stick, a wood stick. So it's not a tripod, it's just a monopod. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people like it. Again, it does slow you down uh, to quickly uh, take a photo of a bird in flight. Uh, I do use a tripod with a, with a, a pretty heavy-duty head to hold that heavy lens. Uh, I do use a tripod when I'm photographing, when I'm watching something and I'm, I'm standing in one place or just kind of waiting for something to happen or sitting at the side of the lake. I, I sometimes like to use a tripod and just put the camera on there, but... Yep. So how how often when when you go out birding and and doing uh, bird photography how how much of your time is spent standing and waiting for something versus walking and looking for something to happen? It's a good question, and my my answer is going to be depends on mm -hmm. what I set out to do that day. 
Um, now I meant I'm obviously like uh, with okay. I'll give you an example with the Greaves uh, rushing. When I started photographing them six years ago, I would photograph them all the time, everywhere. I just was excited to see them. And then slowly you progress to the point. It's probably other people have the same thing with like maybe backyard birds. Like, okay, now I'm looking for a certain photo. So some mornings I'm in the mood of, I'm just going to take a walk today and see what I see. I'm going for a hike. I'm taking maybe my lighter setup, my little lighter lens with the, I'm not going to take a tripod. We're going to be walking a lot, see what I see. So a lot of the times now in these days, I sit out with a specific photo in my head. So sometimes I sit down on, I pick a spot on the, on the lake. Uh, I pick my background. I choose what background I want and where exactly I want to sit the light, obviously, and then just wait. I can sit there for four hours waiting okay. for action to happen in that window. If it doesn't happen, that's fine. I set out because I want a certain thing because I have everything else. I have all the other <laughs> photos, right? So it, it depends on if you're just starting out, you kind of like, well, I'll just go take photos with everything. So I, I sometimes, a lot of times I still, when I'm out with clients, obviously I don't take my own photos because those are my clients time to take their photo. But when I'm out on my own, like if I'm in the boat, I many times I just park the boat in the reeds or somewhere and just wait, wait and see, watch the wildlife. I'm, I'm a very ethical photographer, so I don't chase birds. I don't run after them. I don't, I don't chase them with the boat because obviously your, your photos are going to be showing that if a bird is alert, if a bird is stressed out in the air, I can tell that what you've been doing something, you know? Mm -hmm. So a lot of times I just sit back and, and watch wildlife go by and see what happens. That sounds so pleasant sitting in a boat, you know, in the reeds, like waiting for birds to come. <laughs> sounds like something I love is. to do. It is. Until you have to go, you have to go to the bathroom. You're like, okay, we'll pack it up and let's go over to the boat dock and then come back. But it is. Um, it's funny you say that because I have a lot of photographer clients, right, who come to hire me to photograph the grebes doing their dance on the water. It's coming up in the winter. But some of my best clients are actually birders and they don't have a camera. Maybe they have a point and shoot, but usually it starts out with, let's just park the boat. We just want to listen. We want to listen to the, so we turn off the motors. We just sit in the middle of the lake floating around and we're listening, you know, to all the action happening. And some, you know, when we see, obviously they see the rush, they're just happy to see it and experience it. And it's just uh, very different from, Oh, I got to have that shot. And then they, if they have a camera, maybe they take a photo or two. And to me, it's actually, as you said, it's very, it's very pleasing. It's very cool. I love doing that. That sounds like fun. I'll have to do that. Yeah. <laughs> You'll have to come visit me one day. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> so uh, the, I, I get kind of overwhelmed looking at a camera. So Eric has been, you know, taking photos for a number of years and sometimes I'll just grab they're, it away from they're him. Not, they're not good photos. They're, they're, it's literally <laughs> oh, just, it's... I, I just... I just... I, whatever's in front of the camera... Like um, we were talking before we started recording, um, it's birding birding or photography while birding i don't i don't sit and wait for photos Perfect. it's we we, we bird great. and i take pictures as the opportunity yeah. arises that's great though that's awesome but sometimes i'll pull the camera away from him because you know i paid for it and so i want to use it every <laughs> once in a while too but oh, you 
you know, everybody has like all these ideas about the settings. So can you explain to us maybe a little bit about the all the settings that like are, you know, more common on DSLRs and like which ones um, you recommend people use? Uh, yes and no. There are a lot of settings. I'm happy to give you a little input. One thing I suggest if you're overwhelmed and and I know there was another question about the uh, the, the like having a a manual and oh my god it's just so overwhelming these menus and all that mm -hmm. what i found even myself i did this when i got my canon r my brand new camera guess where i went youtube hopped on youtube typed in my camera model whatever and i just said something like quick setup guide and i it helped me so much to watch this person kind of I, I found some really really good videos on youtube and i'm sure you find it for your whatever camera it is because people put out so, so many great things in these days and they just went through you know the menu settings and maybe some of the recommended settings and stuff and i was like okay this is helpful this is much better than reading that manual or trying to you know obviously once you stick to the same camera brand the menus and everything is kind of the same um some camera makers known about their menu system being complicated but when you get a camera if you haven't ever never taken a photo in your life it's okay to have it on that auto the little green one that says auto now the moment you come to me and say hey christina i want to take one of your classes within the five, with first five minutes i'm going to get you off that auto <laughs> <laughs> because i don't we don't like that that's that's an automatic setting so if you have a bird in the sky and you end up with a dark uh nothing that's because um your camera outsmarted you on auto but uh, at the same time wasn't as smart as you're going to be once you start learning about light and uh, how what controls the settings in your camera so when i say i'm um, can yes and no about settings i can tell you a little bit about it but at the same time i do have a document i'm happy to send it to you guys and then you can send it to anybody you like it talks about iso it's a one page it's kind of like the bible of of camera camera learning a camera it talks about uh, aperture shutter speed and uh, and uh uh, ISO and how all that, including the sun, controls lighting your camera. Because when you talk settings, it's all about the light. Mm -hmm. So I know I just threw four words out there, and people are like, "Oh, great, Christina, you just confused us all, us even more." The more you spend time on this dry stuff to learn what those four thing, three things, ISO, aperture, and shutter speed, mean, more you understand your camera and the light. Mm -hmm. So the settings on your camera, there's one called P, which is program. The camera is still picking most of your settings. And there's something called shutters, shutter priority or aperture priority. And then there is something called manual, the M. I'm always on the M, which means I tell the camera everything. I, I control all the settings in the camera, the aperture, the shutter speed, the ISO. On aperture priority or shutter priority, it's called priority for a reason. You, the, you control one thing, the shutter speed or the aperture, and the camera takes care of everything. So it's kind of like a semi-auto auto setting still, mm -hmm. you know? So still you have some control, but not everything. So that's why I like manual. But to, to get to a manual setting, you really want to spend time to understand 
what makes, and I know there was a question on what makes a good photo a good photo. And at the end, it comes down about the light. Once you understand what controls the light in your camera, you understand how you pick your proper setting. Like you want the bird in flight you, or the hummingbird, right? You want to freeze the wing because that hummingbird is, is, is beating those wings so fast. You're going to need a high shutter speed. But to get a high shutter speed, you need a lot of light. But where are you going to get the light from, right? Mm-hmm. The sun, obviously. But what if it's an overcast day like it is here today? Well, you get it from the ISO and the aperture. We can talk about this also another a whole day. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Can, can you give a, a real short uh, explanation yeah. of what, what do you mean by aperture? What do you mean by ISO? Uh, sh- shutter speed is relatively um, self-explanatory how quickly... Yeah. Shutters yep. closing and opening, but but the, those other two are a little bit more in the weeds. Yeah. So aperture. Think about this. Aperture is related to your lens. Shutter speed is relating to your camera, as well as ISO is relating to your camera. So the, when you get a nice lens, a telephoto lens, and 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 there is a there is a. Um, it's hard to to show this when I'm trying. There's no video, but yeah, there, yeah, yeah. there is a ring within the lens that opens up. And closes down by letting letting kind of like a, a imagine like a donut, a big hole or a little hole, right? Mm-hmm. In the in the lens itself that lets the light in. And when we're talking aperture, like each lens, when you buy a fancy telephoto lens, and you're like, well, it's the same size, but this is one thousand dollar, and that one is ten thousand dollars. Let's say it's a four hundred lens, or I just set a number, and you're like, what's the difference? Well, one of them, let's say the aperture is. 5.6, which is a number right now to you, but the other one is a 1.4. 1.4 meaning it's going to open up that donut. It's going to open up so big. It's going to let lots of lots of good light in, mm-hmm. where the other one, it doesn't open that much up, so it doesn't let too much light in. And so the reason that's important, because the moment you attach it to your camera, now there is light coming through the lens. There is light the shutter speed is how fast the that mirror flipping and the ISO is how sensitive it's back to the old days when we call it film sensitivity when we use film it still applies on how sensitive the your your digital cameras are to the light so all those three control it mm-hmm. so when you're going to buy that very very fancy lens such as like if you ever watch sporting events indoor special indoor sports and and people have these huge massive lenses i mean they're massive and some of them cost like $30,000 oh, it's because i know it's because it's an f 1.2 or 1.4 meaning it lets a lot of light in. So you don't need like mother nature light or other light because indoor sporting events, you're not allowed to use a flash or most sporting events, you're not allowed to use a flash to give it more light. So these lenses are expensive because they're designed that they're going to let all this light in. Now, when I do bird photography, I'm out in nature mostly during the day. I've got mm-hmm. sun. I think good thing I've got sunshine. So for <laughs> natural light, right? So, and, and I don't have $30,000 and it's a big lens to carry around anyway. So I buy something with a different, so the F-stop, it relates to the lens. It's going to tell you how much light, can, what's the range to let in. There's fixed lenses, fixed meaning it's 400 millimeter or 50 millimeter F 2.8, whatever the number F number is, that's it. It's not changed. You can't change it. So if you're doing weddings, 
there you go. You're getting married and you're and you wonder why the wedding photographer is in your face and moving back and coming close. And, you know, well, it's a fixed lens. His, her, his and her telephoto, meaning I can come close to you or I can go away when I have a telephoto lens. I can do that by moving the lens, right? Just the ring. Mm -hmm. I can go 100 or 200. Well, on the fixed lens, if it's fixed at 50, I, my moving is me walking, walking closer to the subject, walking back from the subject. So that's what the wedding photographers are all over the place. Usually they're like coming to you and going away from you. <laughs> that's how they control it or like sporting events. And then shutter speed is how fast you're taking that photo. If you want to, if you want to freeze that motion of the hummingbird, because he's flying, imagine that wing moving so fast to freeze that motion. You need to take a photo really, really, really quick. Right. Mm -hmm. right like super that that camera has to click it clicks like one over four thousand of a second that's how fast it takes the photo because i want to see that wing motion but for the camera to 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 do that and actually you see an image you you're gonna need some light it, the, the the quicker it takes the photo less light it lets in right yeah mm -hmm. Are you following that? So when I do landscape photography at sunrise, when it's pitch dark and that pretty red color is coming and it's still, the sun is nowhere to be found because sunrises, those pretty colors come 30 minutes before the sun actually up. Mm -hmm. I'm on a 30 second photo. I, I push the button and the camera goes click and then opens up the shutter and says, give me light for 30 seconds, give it to me. Okay, I'm still taking the photo and then click, right? And it's like, it took a 30 second photo. It let a lot of light in, not much yeah. in the morning, but it's letting all the light in. The hummingbird, when I take a hummingbird, I can't even say it fast enough, the one over 4,000 seconds. It's like, you can't even blink that fast. That's how fast it takes. So taking the photo that fast, it's letting very little light in. So now you're going to need light from somewhere else, right? Yeah. So yeah. guess what? You, I'll promise you one thing, uh, unless you're using flash or something, if you just have a camera with the lens on it, a hummingbird in the morning before the sun is up, you're not even going to see the hummingbird. <laughs> it's so dark, right? Yeah. You can't yeah. freeze that motion. You can take a blurry photo probably. Yeah. I know. I can, oh, probably I went on for a long time. Sorry. No, no, that's, that's, that's perfect. <laughs> no, great explanation. Yeah. So, um, so when yeah. you're, uh, so every, every manufacturer and every like level of camera, um, is, is going to be kind of different from, from person to person, manufacturer to manufacturer. But what, what's something that, um, like say for, for like me, I'm, I like to go out, take, take bird photos while I'm birding. Yep. What, what sort of things would you recommend for somebody that's kind of in, in my boat where I, I, I like to take, I like to take bird photos, but I don't, yeah. uh, I'm, I'm not going to sit in a blind for 10 hours. I'll, I'm, yeah. I'm carrying my binoculars at the same time and I'm just birding and taking incidental photos. 
Well, even then, if you just incidental photos or incidental birder or incidental photographer, mm -hmm. but you have a whole load of money to spend, I'm going to tell you, oh, yeah, go the mirrorless. Go get the go get the, the fanciest thing in town and a nice telephoto lens, you know, like with a good F-stop, meaning it's a it's a good it's a nice lens and and a nice camera. Sure. So it's back to what is your budget? Mm -hmm. uh, the, I do give you a little hint. Um, if you're a Costco member and no, I have no affiliation with Costco, but Costco always carries, and they they I pretty much they still do a a good mid range Nikon or Canon. I don't know if they do Sony um, setup. Meaning, uh, I think the latest Canon might be the 90D 90D, which comes with a kit lens like a, a, a 55 to 250 millimeter. Not a big lens, but you can change that out. You can go down to your local shop and pick up a used. 100 to uh, 400. Um, for you, I as as a occasional bird or like photographer, I would do. I wouldn't do a fixed lens because you're going to be limited. Mm -hmm. If you buy a 500, you're going to be limited. If that bird is too close, you're going to have to walk back. You, you're too close to the bird, right? Yeah. So I would yeah. buy. I would buy a telephoto lens, something with a hundred to 400, 100 to 500. 200 to 600 range as long as it's not ha um, heavy there are great third-party lenses like sigma and tamron they make fantastic lenses with the uh, less of uh, less uh, money that you need to spend uh, it's back to your budget uh, but again i would totally check out uh, like i used uh, canon 7d while they're going that's the dslr the canon 7d mark ii was a was or is paired with the 100 400 that's what i shot with for a very long time and the um 1dx mark ii uh, the, but the 7d they were good like thousand dollar uh uh around thousand bucks but now you can pick it up a used one for probably less than that we call it a, a workhorse it was great for wildlife photography that that combo just worked so well to the day it works so well it's it's ridiculous so you can just keep taking photos over and over and over again <laughs> and it's responsive and it focuses quick and it's good the mirrorless the new technology has something that um, will help you to find that bird called eye tracking so when I use my mirrorless and I push my little button in the back, obviously you have to set this up in your camera. Again, there are YouTube videos on how to do that. But if I find a bird and I push the button in the back, it's quite amazing. I have, I'm very impressed, bird or any animal, it finds the eye That's of that bird. It's really cool. And if that bird takes off, all I need to do is just follow that bird while the holding the button, the camera, constantly focuses and as long as it sees that eye keeps focus and you just fit your we call it bag button focus also you separate the different i don't know if you're using that eric the yeah, bag button yeah. Focus. yeah it's it's really cool right you focus with one finger keep shooting with the other one but using the eye tracking especially if it's, a, if it's clear and there's not no um, bushes or leaves or something it, sometimes a camera gets distracted by that but uh as long as you know the bird is flying and you see the eye, it's tracking. So you don't have to. That focus point moves whatever the bird is going. It's really cool. Does it help you? Oh yeah. I was over in Scotland photographing puffins. These little birds come in like a bullet. Nobody's business. And and I've been going there for five, five, six years, four years, five years, something like that. 
a long time. And this is my first summer when I took my mirrorless. And I have to tell you, I got some uh, shots that I'm good at taking birds and photos of birds and fly. But man, this helped me. I'll, it definitely helped. It's it's I'm addicted to it. <laughs> <laughs> so so it sounds like I need to get a mirrorless. Then. I need to. I need, I, like, I need to sell, sell my gotta... gear and, and win the lottery and get a mirrorless. <laughs> mirrorless, it's a great, it's it's really cool. I think it's it's the new new stuff. So if if you're starting out and you have a budget and you say, oh, I can swing a little more and maybe price the mirrorless up now, don't come back and say, oh, Christina told me to buy this one. <laughs> Not a lot of money. <laughs> So speaking of birds in flight, um, yeah. what tips do you have for like folks like Eric who are maybe birding and mm -hmm. taking pictures, you know, like how do you get a good warbler? Okay. Oh, <laughs> yeah, the warblers. Oh, they're so cute. So one of the things I like to tell uh, people that with birds or any animals that you want to photograph, spend some time studying them, studying their behavior watching them, which probably as a birder, you already do, right? Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, in the morning, they're, uh, they're ready to go get some food, eat something, you know, as they woke up or little warblers or even, uh, or like flycatchers, the more you know about the birds, like a flycatcher saying, oh, it's going to come back to the same perch. Uh, it's doing, you know, watch their behavior, see what they're doing. So you can anticipate their behavior. Now, um, I know I, I, I don't know, no other way um, to tell you this. If you come up with a better word, you guys can redo this one. But there is a behavior that we call when a bird is sitting on the pole and, and, and well, does its business. And sometimes we're I literally, I have to say this, we're photographers. There's a, 10 of us in the field and all you hear, poop and shoot. Do you know the other word I want to use? If they did their thing and poop and shoot and then ready to go because they it back to behavior. Anytime the yeah, bird does yeah. it, there's 95% of the chance he's going to take off, right? So you get ready for, so it's back to learn about the behaviors. I watch the grebes and see, uh, for me to tell you, um, this is what I help for talk. I studied them so long. I have verbal cues that I pick up because it's a, they're very chitter chatty before they rush. I can tell you exactly. I can tell you 11 o'clock or from here to there, there are two birds. They're about to do the dance in about four, three, two, one. There they go. Because I spent a lot of time listening to them and I pick up those um, those sounds. So mm -hmm. you can do that at your, with warblers or any. Now, warblers are going to be tough because they're all over the place and they're moving pretty quick. I hate to tell you, you do need some good reflexes, you know, be fast like super fast and sometimes you just get plain lucky if a, if a bird does like to come back i call this uh, if you're having a hard time like it works with perching birds kestrels or or any kind of birds that like to come back to the same spot uh one thing would i do is called pre-focus on the on the perch so you can set up your camera on a tripod focus it to that stick uh, and then watch the bird coming back and start taking photos before the bird even arrives. You'll have a lot of blank shots. You have a lot of beautiful sky and nothing in it, but eventually you'll get the bird entering your frame and then you get a lot of uh, uh, shots. One thing I do not do, or I very against it is flushing birds or making them fly or chasing them or going from one tree to the other. So uh, I'm not a big fan of, 
takeoff shots, especially if they um, go away from you, because I know that, well, we all know what happened there. So, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that's that, that's a good point, and you've brought it up twice now. Is that yeah. the ethical ethical bird watching, ethical yep. photography is huge. It's you, you need to respect the birds. We're we're yep. no better than the birds. We have no, but our, our our shot isn't worth more than the bird having to suffer through whatever we're doing to it to get the shot. So it's, it's exactly and, and it's, like you said. It's super obvious when when you see photos yep. that are staged or photos that are that they've done something to make the bird do that behavior then it's like oh well that's that bird is not relaxed that bird's stressed that bird's flying away it's doing whatever right. it's pretty obvious and so yep. it's they're they're not as good photos anyways they're they're better photos when the bird's acting natural well or you just have to baby back to the number one ingredient that i told you you're going to need in wildlife photography which is patience and you yes you can get your shot faster and quicker if you do all kinds of those uh <clears throat> naughty things but uh, was it worth it so i am a i'm big on ethics but one thing i want to mention i am a member of i mean a, a member of the uh, ethics committee for napa uh, not the wine country Napa, but Napa, <laughs> it's the North American Nature Photography Association. Okay. So, uh, yeah, exactly. So I'm, I'm, I'm quite big about ethical photography. I'm also a member of the uh, Conservation Committee for the uh, San Diego Audubon Society. And I have a couple uh, conservation projects. One of them is regarding the grebes uh, over at Lake Hodges and their, uh, their nesting dilemma headaches that uh, they have to face you know in the past couple of years it's a long story uh, it's on my website on their conservation and education but i do spend a lot of time and and on on being being an ethical photographer myself and then speaking up about it or or you know it's yeah we all see and i have to i have to admit that sometimes photographers i think are worse than birders because birders will be happy to see a bird five miles from here and say, oh, yay, checked off, a lifer. Mm -hmm. uh, us photographers, we're a little bit, uh, I, I, it is what it is where we would like to get a photo of it. So we'll probably get a little closer. Uh, now, just how close is too close? That's where you have to draw the line. So, yep. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for sharing all yeah. of this great information with us. Do you, uh, so if folks want to find out more about you and maybe take a course from you or go on a trip with you, how would they find out about that? Great question. The easiest is probably get on the website. It's KS, uh, like Christina Chef, ksnaturephotography.com. And there's all kinds of info up there. Um, I am based in San Diego. I do visit bird. I saw you guys will be probably see you at some bird festival. I'll be up in uh, Morro Bay um, in January. Then obviously the uh, San Diego bird festival in February. Then I'm heading to the uh, biggest week in American birding. Uh, in um, Ohio in May, and then I'll be uh, ooh, I'll be a keynote speaker in uh, Galt on February fourth. Uh, then that's the Northern California area. So, uh, but it's on the website. So if anybody wants to come find me, I'll probably uh, put up my winter schedule. Usually, I do a lot of classes here in San Diego during the winter when it's our migratory season, mm -hmm. uh, anywhere between that's a good time to come to San Diego anytime between November through probably April. Um, when everything is happening, we get a lot of birds and so it's fun. Well, awesome. Thank you so much yeah. for taking the time to talk with us. Thank you guys for having me. I really appreciate it.
So thank you, Christina. That was that was that was fun. We 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 talked a lot about photography. Some of some of the stuff we talked about got kind of deep in the weeds. Some of it kind of stayed super sur- surface level. So I hope everyone listening can can get something out of that. But That's... It, it really just goes to show you how like complex the whole photography thing is. Oh yeah, it's so much more than just like look at a thing and take a picture like but it can be that too i mm-hmm. mean that's a bunch of what the photography i do is it put my phone on the scope and then you know click when it looks right <laughs> but fortunately <laughs> you know my phone is pretty smart itself yeah yeah so it was i i thought maybe we should kind of summarize a couple of the the things sure. that uh, christina talked about um just just kind of uh, boil boil it down to a couple things there, there was so much to cover in that but there's there's a couple big takeaways that i had from from that, she had three points, um, kind of close to the beginning of the conversation, that uh, you want to make sure that you have the level of patience that whatever type of photography that you want to do requires. Mm-hmm. You need to decide what type of photography you want to do. Do you want to do portraits? Do you want to do nature? Do you want to do landscapes? What, whatever it is. And I think that can depend on day to day too. Oh, day, yeah, exactly. What, what you're going out for that day, and if you have the patience that particular day to do that. Yeah. And then also, how much money do you want to spend mm-hmm. on this hobby? Sure. On, on this particular thing. So that, that that was a huge takeaway. I I immediately just stuck in my mind when when she was talking about it is the main one was the patience because i have zero patience yeah i that's and like i said in the while we were talking like i i I take pictures while we're birding so if if we're going somewhere i'll take a picture as we're going doing stuff and as the bird presents itself to me i'm not uh i'm not quite patient enough to sit in a blind and wait or sit somewhere and wait for the bird to go where I want the bird to but go. But I think we should still try that sometime. Oh, we, I've, I've done it sometimes. I'm just, I'm just mm, not very patient. You don't wait for very long. I've waited. I've waited. <laughs> <laughs> so one point that she made that I think is just, it's such a great reminder too, is that YouTube is such a good resource. Mm-hmm. And even TikTok too is how I learn a lot of things these days. <laughs> and, you know, whether you are trying to learn how to do photography or plumb a sink, you know, sometimes these can be really great resources that you might have not um, considered otherwise. Yeah. Yeah, that's I, I've used YouTube for a ton of things. And that's actually how I learned how to use what I do know of my my newer camera that I have is uh, I just went, I just typed in the model of the camera and quick setup. So the, the other the other thing that she mentioned a couple of times that Christina mentioned uh, about um, getting used equipment or renting equipment, which... Used equipment. Um, I've, I've always been hesitant to get used equipment, but um, as she mentioned, many people that are selling that higher end the the lenses that usually that brand new cost three or four thousand, five thousand, ten thousand dollars. They're usually upgrading to an even more expensive lens, and so that lens or that camera body or whatever they're selling was probably cared for pretty well, mm-hmm. and then it's and then it gets refurbished. It go it goes to somebody gets messed around with or whatever cleaned up and then then you buy it for significantly less than uh market than the the new price but it can still be a good really good piece of equipment i've never thought of buying buying high-end stuff like that as used but but i I keep hearing people do it so it it must must be reliable i've looked around a lot on like Mm bnh to see what kind of things they have yeah so um yeah they sometimes have really good you know products on there but Mm -hmm because it's used you know people send it in and so you don't they don't have a huge stock of anything so it's like once you see it you know you gotta either grab or go (laughs) yeah yeah and then kind of the kind of the last uh last thing that i thought of um that 
We talked about it a little bit right after we hit the stop button on the records so that I couldn't get back into it, but uh, being familiar with the equipment and how the conditions affect what you're seeing is so integral to being able to do to, to do photography and especially do photography well mm-hmm. because like when when we were talking Christina said oh well I can tell you you set your ISO to 2.8 you set your or you, you set your aperture to 2.8 you set your ISO to 600 and then you set your shutter to this and then point it at that bird and take a photo but in two seconds or five seconds or ten seconds a cloud blows over and now you have to change things mm-hmm. now you have to change all your settings because now it's diffuse light versus direct light. And so you have to you have to make these adjustments and you have to understand making those adjustments but from a from a standard baseline, which is what you can get from looking at what watching the different YouTube videos on uh on how to set up your camera initially. So a good takeaway there yeah. would be like <laughs> just play with it and get to know it really well so then it's quicker when you recognize like oh the lights changed I need to do these certain things to yeah, it. Yeah, I, I need and, I need to look make this change. And, and that's yeah. also where like YouTube helps. Mm-hmm. Um because it get, just gets you familiar with like oh the lighting has changed. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and, and every camera manufacturer Sony and um Olympus, C- Canon, Nikon, they all have different completely different setups. For the way the menu is set up. So that's, unfortunately, it's there's no easy button for just like, oh, well, I know I, on every camera you do this. Because mm-hmm. every single manufacturer has decided we're going to be a little bit different. That way there's a reason for somebody to like us over someone else. So so that was my main takeaways. And I, I, and I, re- I really appreciate Christina taking the time to, to chat with us. It was it was a lot of fun. And I, I feel like I learned a pretty, pretty good amount. Oh, definitely. Yeah. And I feel like, um, you know, she's a great teacher. And mm-hmm. if you want to learn more, she has webinars and classes and trips that you can go on oh, yeah. to learn um, all about that stuff. I know that I want to go see the dances with Greaves now with her and I'll watch and you can take the pictures with her. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and yeah, and that's, that's a good point. If um, San Diego Bird Festival, she mentioned the Morrow Bay Festival. Mm-hmm. There, there's there's a couple places that she'll be out and I'm sure she'll be guiding at those festivals, doing some photography workshops and stuff. So. Oh, totally. So yeah, keep keep your eyes open for her and maybe, maybe get out there and learn something from her directly. Yeah. So thank you all for listening to our podcast and thank you for to Christina for being on it. Yeah. We hope you enjoyed it and maybe learned something. You can rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Music, and anywhere else you listen to us. If you'd like to connect with us on the socials, you can follow us at Hannah Goes Birding and Eric Goes Birding on Instagram. Our Facebook page is Hannah and Eric Go Birding. You can email us at Hannah and Eric Go Birding at gmail.com. You can check us out on Twitter at We Go Birding. You can check out our TikTok our Vir- Vivo. Vivo. That's Vivo. I can't remember if it's Vivo or Vero. Anyways, <laughs> um, you can check us out there. You can check out Alberta. There's a lot of ways to get in touch with us. Just try Hannah, Eric, Go Birding, something like that. Some combination of those. And you can also check out our website, which is GoBirdingPodcast.com. And please tell us what you think and share us with your friends. <laughs>